to the MANA radio program, 30 minutes of insight, inspiration, and ideas to help leaders to lead, teachers to teach, pastors to pastor, and parents to parent. MANA is about feeding your soul, improving your serve, and restoring your spirit. And now your host, the founder and president of MANA Educational Services International, it's Dr. Rick Cromie. Well, hello, everyone. This is Rick Cromie coming to you from Boise, Idaho, on the MANA radio program. It's January here in Boise, and I know out there on the East Coast, it's a literally snowopolis out there. What they call it, the bomb cyclone or something I saw going on over there? A great big nor'easter dropping a lot of snow and plenty of bitter cold temperatures all the way from Maine down into Florida. It's just been a brutal cold time. Out here in Boise, it's not quite that bad, but uh, we've had our, our share of grief over the years. Last year, especially, we had real bitter temperatures and lots and lots of snow, so I know exactly what you're going through. You know, this is the start of the year, and I don't know about you, but I've made a few resolutions few changes I want to make here in 2018, things I want to do to improve myself and just make my life a little bit better and, you know, things, normal things like lose a little bit of weight, uh, change a habit or two, correct a, correct a, something that I need to, you know, focus more on, a little bit more reading, I like to do that and a few of those things, normal. I, I also try to read the Bible through every year and this year I've started off on a good foot with that one. But you know, when I look back over my life, there's a lot of things that I wished I could have told myself when I was a younger man. Uh, maybe you have that same feeling or have had that same thought, things you wish you could have told you back in the day. Well, a few years ago, I actually wrote a few of these things down, and I'd like to share them with you just to open up our program today, which is going to focus on grace. And maybe you can resonate with some of these things that you wished you could have told yourself. For example, I wish I could have told myself that following a dream isn't a sprint, but a marathon, so you can expect to grow weary. Another thing I wish I could have told myself is you will get hurt deeply, so we have to suck it up now. No pain, no gain? Well, I also think it's K-N-O-W. Know that type of pain, and you'll also know gain too. Uh, number three, I wish I'd known that you're going to get criticized. Criticism is just some people's spiritual gift. Now, the fourth thing I wish I would have known is that every day is a new day. Live it like it's your last so you're not sad when it is. I wish I would have known that growing older is a gift that many may never get to enjoy. Yeah, every day is a gift. Six, choose your companions well. Only good friends stick with you. Isn't that true? Titles, awards, accomplishments, and honors, they're just temporary joys. You are a human being, not a human doing. I have to keep telling myself that over and over and over again. Don't fear failing. Rather, fear the day you stop trying. Be careful what you consume. Every addiction starts with a look, a taste, or a sip. You know, Ten, don't, don't waste your life on worry or regret. You can't change the past nor control what might be. 
Love people and use things, not vice versa. Or how about this one? Gratitude truly is the best attitude, especially when there's nothing to be thankful for. Laughter? Well, laughter is God's energy drink for the soul, so drink liberally. Uh, Never let small minds with tiny agendas and dwarf dreams define your mood, method, or mission. And, you know, 15, there really is no secret to life, except maybe to keep breathing. And last but not least, in your final breath, the only thing you'll ever truly need or want is grace. It's grace. That's what we all truly want. That's what we all truly need is grace. Grace that's unconditional. Grace that's unbelievable. Grace that's undeniable. You know, inside every human being is this deep spiritual need for forgiveness and freedom. You know, some philosophers have tagged this as the God-shaped whole. Others identify it as the soul or spirit. In the realm of world religions, most ruled by karma or fate, Christianity espouses the virtue of grace or unmerited favor as the pathway towards God. U2 has this lyric I love. In fact, it's their song, Grace, where it says, this, this lyric says, grace travels outside of karma. So true. Grace has no conditions, no rules, no stipulations. Grace cannot be earned. It's a free gift of mercy, pardon, forgiveness, freedom. Grace is utterly amazing. That's why we put that in the song, Amazing Grace. It's unbelievable. And you know what? It also doesn't make sense. It doesn't return eye for eye. It's not comprehensible. You can't wrap your mind around it, so don't even try. Grace is a mystery. Grace is also a beautiful thing. It makes ugly junk into ornate treasures. You know, a few years ago, there was a show on television that really was a picture of grace. Maybe you remember it, Home Extreme Makeover, you know, where there was this grace that destroyed the former abode, which was unlivable, and it rebuilt or built over it an unbelievable mansion that was furnished with fresh opportunity, new potential, change, and it was a free gift. It was beyond repayment. There was nothing that could be done, nothing that could be paid. That's grace, and it certainly does happen in some very strange places. You know, one of my favorite stories in the Bible about grace comes from John chapter 8. And it's the story uh, that is a very disputed story. It's one that if you look at the fine print in your Bible down at the bottom, you might even see the statement that, that this particular story does not even appear in the most reliable and earliest manuscripts. And that's true. It's the story of the woman who was caught in the act of adultery, and she's brought before Jesus. And she's given an opportunity to stand before a rabbi who is going to judge her for her sin. Let me read the story to you from John chapter 8. See what you think. I'm going to pull a few things out as we, as we go through this as well. Uh, just insights and Um, applications that we can think about. John chapter 8, beginning in verse 2, it says, At dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts and where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them, which is something a rabbi would do. That was a sign of a rabbi when he sat down. It was a sign of being taught and and getting a lesson. 
And then the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. Caught in adultery. So we can make some fair assumptions here. If she's caught in adultery, she's caught in the act of adultery, probably she didn't have much time to get dressed. They probably literally dragged her out of the bed, out of the bedroom, out into the street. And so imagine a woman probably screaming and crying and mad and every every type of emotion all bundled up in one as these lawyers, these legal eagles pull her out in the morning out of her bed with her lover and bring her in front of this rabbi named Jesus. And they made her stand before the group. So they made her then stand up probably naked as a jaybird, in front of the entire group that Jesus was teaching. And they said, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. So she was doing it at that moment. And in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. Now what do you say? And that was true. In the law, in the Levitical law, a woman who was an adulteress was stoned. That was her penalty. In fact, um, a lot of times people say, well, what about the man? Where's the man at? Why didn't they drag the man out here too? And ladies often ask that, and that's a great question. But here's the key. In Jewish, especially um, the, the Talmud and, and Jewish law, the, the idea was you always started with the female first. If it was a, a couple's crime, you might say, and in this case it was a couple's crime. So the woman is brought first to be judged. Her penalty is going to be stoning. We know that by the time of Jesus that uh, it was a different um, consequence for a man who committed adultery. He was not stoned as much as, as literally suffocated and strangled to death uh, in, um, in mud. They literally would bury him in mud up, up to his uh, uh, gut or chest, and then, um, and then they would strangle him with two dry cloths as a way of, of ending his life. It was a totally different and maybe a little bit horrific um, type of judgment. But they bring her before Jesus, and they ask the question, about Moses. They, they immediately draw in the law and what Moses had to say. And it says in verse 6, they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So the reason to bring in the woman before Jesus is not necessarily to judge this woman and not necessarily to condemn her. They, I mean, she could have gone to any rabbi for that. By the way, that's a rabbinical job is to, to handle the legal issues of the, of the Jewish community. Uh, but they were bringing her before Jesus to trap him, to trap Jesus, to, to really show that he wasn't who he was. Well, picking up the story, it says Jesus, when, when they did this, Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, well, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first one to throw a stone at her. Now, that's interesting because here's Jesus. You know, they, they appeal to the law of Moses, which is, which is what they would do. And it says Jesus got down on the ground and started to write. Well, what did he write in the ground? Well, most biblical scholars believe, and, and I think they're correct here, that he probably went off of that law of Moses. Perhaps he just 
with his finger, wrote in the ground or in the sand there, thou shalt not commit adultery. He, he makes, makes the statement. This was something that would be very rabbinical as well, that when you brought a legal charge, you would just write the charge out in the ground. So most scholars think that he probably just wrote, thou shalt not commit adultery at this point in the ground. And then he, they just kept on questioning him, and he just, um, he just wrote that in the ground, and then he stood up and said, well, if any of you are without sin, and the Greek suggests it a little bit uh, more tighter interpretation, you, you might say, it's, if any of you are without this type of sin, why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone? And at that point, <laughs> picking it up in verse, uh, verse 8 there, he says, uh, at that point, he stoops back down and writes on the ground. And started right on the ground a second time, and notice what happens because this is one of those one of those parts where we what did he write the second time? Well, let's look at the consequence first, or what happened, the result. Verse nine it says, "At this, those who heard him began to go away one at a time, one at a time. The oldest first, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there." So whatever he wrote the second time was enough to incriminate those individuals, starting with the very oldest ones. And a lot of people wonder, a lot of scholars, again, like to speculate, what did he write? You know what I think he wrote? I think he went back to, to what he was saying, what he was, what he was charging them with. He says, if any of you are without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. If any of you are without this particular sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. So what do you think he wrote? I think it's pretty simple. I think it's pretty self-explanatory. I think he started to write the names of the women that were in the minds of these particular Pharisees and Sadducees and religious leaders. You know, he looked at John, the, the Pharisee there, and he's and he could see he was an old, old Pharisee, been around the block a few times, and he was nodding his head, yeah, yes, Jesus, we've got you now, don't we? And he says, well... If you're without sin, John, why don't you go ahead and throw the first stone? But before you do, let me remind you of something. And he gets down on the ground. And he just scrawls on the ground right next to thou shalt not commit adultery. He scrawls the name of uh, Mary. And John goes, how did you know about Mary? How did you know about Mary? And, it, and he just, uh, I, can't, I can't do that. And he drops, his, he drops his rock and heads out. Boogie's out of there. He did that one after another. I think he just wrote the names of, of the women that were in their mind. You know, Mary and, you know, Joanna and, and Carla and Susie and whoever else was in their minds. Until it got to the point where there was no one left but Jesus and the woman. And this is where it gets fascinating to me. Because Jesus had a rabbinical duty to judge this woman and to condemn her. And that's why this story is so radical. That's why it doesn't appear in some of the earliest manuscripts. Because it actually does. We, we have manuscript copies where, for example, there's one manuscript copy where it's actually blotted out. It's, it's like it goes from John chapter 7 and, and there's just this big hole. It's like someone took white out and just covered it over and then it picks back up. There's another manuscript that actually takes this story and puts it at the end 
of John. There's another manuscript that takes it and puts it into another whole gospel book. And there are all sorts of, of, of maneuverings and changing and, and such that's going on here. And I think the reason is, is because this is such a radical story of grace that the Jewish mind couldn't comprehend it. Even the Greek mind, the Roman mind, as, as vile and as perverted as the Roman mind could be at times, even it couldn't wrap its mind around this one. It's just incredible. So here's Jesus standing face to face with this woman, and he looks her in the eye, and, and he asks her, woman, where are they? Where are the ones that have condemned you? And she looks around and she responds, there's no one, sir, she said, verse 11. And Jesus responds, then neither do I condemn you. Jesus says, go now and leave your life of sin. So what we have here is the ultimate act of grace. And if you're out there right now and you're listening to me and you're going, you don't know what I've done in my life. You don't know the places I've been. You don't know the things that I've thought about. You don't know the stuff that I've done. Yeah, maybe I don't. But I know what I've done. And I'm like Paul, Paul says he was the worst of sinners. I, a lot of times I feel like I'm the worst of sinners. But that's what grace is all about. It's the reason why I'm a Christian, by the way. Because there's all sorts of wonderful religions out there. There are all sorts of good pathways out there that, that give you great ideas and wonderful solutions that are, to, to, if you do this, you'll feel better. If you, you'll make this resolution, you know, you'll feel better about your life and you'll move forward with your life and things will, you know, karma. If you do good things, you'll get good things back. You know, that's religion. What God did was he stepped into our world through Jesus Christ and said, you know what? You're never going to be good enough. You're never going to make it on your own. But this is where you need me. And it says that Jesus literally looked at her and said, then I don't condemn you either. And that, my friends, is what I want to hear and I know I'll hear on the day of judgment for me. You see, when I stand before God, there could be a, I mean, there's books could be open as far as all the things that I've done. And Jesus is just going to stand in front of me and, and say to the Father, hey, can't condemn him. He's mine. I don't condemn him. God won't condemn me. That is grace. That is grace. Let me give you one final insight from this particular um, passage that I love, I love, I love, I love. And that is simply that, you know, the law of Moses, when it was brought down off the mountain, Mount Sinai, he brought it down on two tablets of stone. The law was written in stone. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It was written in stone. And yet Jesus, literally with the sweep of his hand, could wipe away thou shalt not commit adultery in the sand. The difference between law, law is written in stone, and many of us have been so incriminated, so judged by the stone of our lives that we miss the sand that Jesus can wipe away in just a moment of grace. Grace that says, amazingly enough, gone, forgotten. It's, it's like the psalmist. He says that, that God literally takes our sins and throws them as far away as the east is from the west. As the east is from the west. Have you ever thought about that? 
I mean, what an amazing idea, because when you go east and you throw something towards the east, if you could throw that hard, that far of a ball, do you realize you couldn't throw it far enough east before it would go west? It won't come back. It's gone. God takes our sins and he throws them as far away as the east is from the west. It means that he throws them and they keep going and they keep going, they keep going, they keep till they're way out of sight. It's not like north and south. You realize if you go north, there comes a point where you start going south again. And if you go south, there's eventually a point where you start to go north again. Not true going east and west. You go east, you'll never go west. You go west, you'll never go east. Isn't that amazing? I think this is what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I want to wrap this up right now. You know, he talks about his thorn in the flesh, and there's all sorts of ideas as far as what that thorn is. I actually, I, I think he's dealing with a sin issue, and I, I'll leave my thoughts as far as what I think that particular issue is right now. But I, I love, I think it's a sin issue because of the response that's given. You know, when he comes before God and before Jesus, and he says, please take away this thorn. It says, three times I pleaded with the Lord. This is 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, beginning around verse 8. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take away this issue, this sin from me. But each time Jesus said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. This is why I don't believe it's a physical thing. Because what Paul was needing was grace. He wasn't needing a healing. He wasn't needing physical strength. The response is not my strength is sufficient for you, or my healing is sufficient for you, or my goodness is sufficient for you, or my resources are sufficient for you. It's a sin issue, my friends. And Paul is basically getting the answer. The answer is grace. 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 You know, grace appears in some of the oddest places, and maybe that is why it's so amazing. When I was in college, I took a weekend opportunity to preach at a small country church in western Idaho, in Iowa. Uh, it, was, it was a very cold winter day. It was probably December or January, and, I, you know, my wife and I, we were driving out there in the middle of this cornfield in Iowa, and it didn't take long uh, when we finally found the church. I mean, it was out in the middle of nowhere in, in western Iowa. And it was this large country church, and there were a few cars parked outside. It was one of those white clapboard big buildings with a steeple and a bell, the whole works. You could tell at one point it was uh, it was fairly uh, vibrant congregation, but now there were just a few cars outside. And we thought we were actually early uh, that day because there were so few cars, but... Uh, when we got inside, I noticed that when I immediately opened the door, the front door to walk in uh, to the, the church sanctuary, the worship area, it was as cold in that building as it was outside. It was really chilly. And, and then I could hear noises. And I realized, in fact, I soon discovered that this once vibrant congregation was really a shell of its former self. The, the membership numbers were dangerously low. The, the sanctuary was dark and services were being held in the, in the basement. Uh, there was a small fellowship room just off of the kitchen, which held a couple dozen chairs, and they were arranged around an old piano, as I recall. Uh, a nearby table, there were the sacraments of juice and bread, and, and then there was a single offering plate, pretty typical, but all in this small room down in, in the basement, in the kitchen. You know, as the time for services arrived that day, there were a couple families that appeared. 
The atmosphere was gregarious and warm, despite there only being a dozen attenders. It was really a very small church. Uh, I remember we took our seats as this elderly woman, she started to plunk out a hymn on the slightly out-of-tune piano. Uh, I, I remember her especially because it just seemed as she was plunking along. I mean, she was as old. I think she was Mrs. Methuselah. She was really, really old. I, I remember the singing that morning, though, because the singing was really robust, especially for such a small crowd. And although, although there was really a lack of professionalism, and that was pretty obvious, um, you know, in fact, I started to be critical. Uh, I remember in my own eye, I, I looked at this church and I went, this is just a dying church. It's a dead church. I was, I was a sophomore in Bible college, junior maybe in Bible college and when this was going on, and I'd had enough Bible college and ministry classes to kind of know a few things, and I could see this church was, was on its deathbed. Um, in fact, uh, my student self <laughs> in my youthful um, exuberance, you might say, or maybe ignorance or stupidity, I was evaluating the situation using the principles I had learned in my in my ministry classes, and I, I mean, the songs were old and they were poorly played. The announcements were long and monotone. The metal chairs, the wood paneling, and the basement created a poor environment. I mean, if I was giving a grade for this particular church service, D minus. If I was a visitor that day, I would have been out of there. I don't think I would have stayed. And then it happened. The worship leader introduced this 20-something girl as the special music. And this was back in the day where there was always a kind of a special number that was done right before the, the preaching time. And I was the preacher, so you know there was this special music. It wasn't unusual. Uh, the young woman, smiling ear to ear, as I recall, stood and, and went to the to lectern, to the pulpit, and and it was right there in that, that small basement uh, kitchen area. And, and without any accompaniment, she belted out a rendition of Amazing Grace that still rattles in my mind. Uh, to say it was atrocious it would be overly kind. I mean, I don't really believe she hit a single note. Plus, her voice was loud and it reverberated through the rafters. She sang or croaked or whatever it was called through every verse. Uh, and possibly even invented a, a, a few uh, new ones. Uh, it sounded a little bit like this. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. <laughs> yeah. I can see you out there right now turning down your dial on that one. My mind was swimming. I mean, how could I possibly follow such a horrible special music? I mean, what should I say to be kind? I mean, when she when she leaves, I mean, what, what am I going to do? I mean, how am I going to transition? I remember uh, uh, looking at my wife at the time, and uh, you know, she gave me this helpless glance. She was no help, and Eventually, the young woman completed her final assault upon our ears, and to my surprise, and this was to my surprise, as she finished, the entire congregation of like 12, they, they stood on their feet in wild applause, and they were cheering. Someone were cheering. It was a standing ovation, and I was stunned. I was, I was shocked. I, I gave an appreciative clap for the young woman, and she just... Uh, beamed from ear to ear. She felt like she was among friends. And then I realized why she was beaming. 
She made a motion with her hands and flashed an I love you sign to everyone in the room. I love you all, she growled in the strange voice. I love you all. And suddenly I got the message. The girl was totally deaf. She'd been deaf since birth. The young woman had never heard a sound in her life. She'd never heard the beautiful melody of the song she sang. Furthermore, she had worked for months to memorize the hymn. For everyone in the room, her musical feat was an incredible, amazing miracle. But not to me. I was looking at it with ears and eyes that were blind to the amazing grace that she sung about. Well, to say I was shocked and deeply ashamed is um, an understatement. Suddenly, the old hymn spoke a fresh message to me. Amazing grace. How sweet the what? The sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. I was the deaf one that morning when this young woman sang in concert with the angels. I was the one that was blind. I was the wretched one in this verse. Isn't that why most of us, though, never experience or even give grace? Not just experiencing grace. Some of us don't even know how to give grace. We're deaf to the mercy, and we fail to hear the sweet sounds of unconditional love and acceptance. Grace is a deep human need, and we all want it, even deaf girls from Western Iowa. So what can we do? What can we do this week? What can we do to to maybe teach with grace or to lead with grace or to parent with grace? What are some things that we can do? Well, let me just challenge you, for example, that you'd be, be more liberal in your, your forgiveness when people offend you. Be, be, more, be more cautious before you lash out. You know, drop your stone just a little bit sooner because we all have sin in our life. We all have mistakes. We all have issues. Maybe you could throw a surprise party. Here's an idea. For those of you who are teachers, throw a surprise party for your class or bosses, employers, uh, maybe even you know executive pastors out there, uh, senior pastors, throw a surprise party for your staff. You don't have to have a reason. Just throw a party. Take them out to eat. Uh, you know, bring in pizza. Just have a good time. Make it fun. Make it make it big fun and make it completely unmerited. You didn't do anything for this. And when they start asking, well, why are you doing this? Just say, because I love you. Because I care about you. Because I thought it would be fun. That's grace. I would encourage you to strive to bless more rather than curse. Forgive and move on. Yeah, it is tough to live forgiveness. And by the way, you may need to start with yourself. Forgiving you. Forgiving yourself. You know, admit your mistakes. Be transparent. Confess your crimes. You see, when you realize that you're human too, it makes it easier to pass on the grace to others in their own learning environments. You know, I'll tell you what happens when this core need of, core need of grace is expressed. It produces freedom. You see, when you create an environment of grace in your home, 
in your school room, in your classroom, in your ministry, in your staff, in your with your employees at work, wherever it might be. When you create environments of grace, freedom emerges. And the feeling of freedom is so freeing that people become more creative. They, they take a few more risks that, that are necessary. Well, my friends, grace, that's the theme of January. That's the theme of this particular radio broadcast is I really wanted to come to you in the first part of the year to talk with you about grace. And then the rest of the year, as we unpack this, I want to talk to you about, you know, how do you motivate? How do you motivate people naturally without guilt or gimmicks? I want to show you why kids misbehave and then why how you lead with style and how you teach with style. And I'm going to share with you a lot of things. So I hope you'll keep listening. I also hope you'll pass this on. This is a brand new venture for us. This is the opening inaugural broadcast of the MANA radio show. And we don't know where it's going to go. All we know is this, is that we want to do something different. We want to create a a resource that people want to listen to. And there's going to be some inspiration. And I I really believe strongly that Scripture gives us insights that we need to pull. So there's always going to be a little bit of a Bible study, if you will, in here. But there's also going to be applications. There's going to be things that are going to improve your life. And I want you to pass it on. I want you to, to share it. I want you to subscribe. I want you to do everything you can. And visit our website, manasolutions.org. Just visit it. And there are all sorts of resources there. There are books that you can download. There are other uh, YouTube videos that you can watch. We're about making you a better leader, a better teacher, a better parent, a better pastor. That's what we're about. Hey, this is Dr. Rick Cromie. And I, again, I want to thank you for listening in. And I wish you a very happy New Year 2018. And here's to to some changes and a lot of grace. Amen. Amen. You've been listening to the MANA Radio Program with Dr. Rick Cromie. MANA Educational Services is passionately committed to empowering leaders to lead, teachers to teach, pastors to pastor, and parents to parent. MANA offers workshops, video, and online training products and solutions completely for free. That's right. Plus, MANA offers digital downloads and other inspirational products and solutions, again, free of charge. And that's because of the generosity of our loving donors. MANA operates by the prayers and generosity of individuals and churches like you. And we invite you to consider a donation to our work. All donations are tax deductible. For more information, please visit our website at manasolutions.org. That's mana, M-A-N-N-A, solutions.org. Oh, 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 oh,